Ladies and gentlemen, we're back. Episode two of The Wrap. We've got the big power trio back in the building. Alex, how are you, mate? Mate, going great guns. Dougie C. Couldn't be better. Oh, of course. We're all just happy to be here, I think. Everybody's just loving each other. Loving each other. Alrighty, we've... Um, <laughs> off the top of the show, we've got a new... Oh, come on Sorry. now. My apologies, too popular. Okay, on the top of the show, we've got a new segment to start off the show. It's something from the uh, brilliant mind of Alexander Cameron, which we're calling... One many things. We're calling Jumping to Conclusions. And what this is, is you make an outrageous statement, which you believe, and without any context or justification, and at the end of the show, we'll pick one that we like the most, that we think is the funniest, the most outrageous, and then from there, we'll... Uh, let the person justify their comment. Or even most interesting. And, well, look, it's a mystery. We'll figure Could it out. Could be anything. Could be anything. your interest. It's a bit like a chance card Monopoly. A bit like a, a Could be anything. mystery chess. Community, chess. Community, Community chess. chess. Could be anything. Alex, you want to kick us off with yours? Yep, I'm going to say it. Um, just say it. Just say it. Just go straight ahead. Get right in there. McDonald's is no longer cheap. Cool. That's a good point. <laughs> Dougal, That's a good point. You're up. My, fav- my, my jumping to conclusions is just that... Just say it. I'm going to say it. <laughs> Just go right ahead. Girls love a dad bod. I don't think there's much much debate there. I think that's a straight fact. But um, my well, one... facts, no printer. No print. We don't, we don't <laughs> mess with that. We don't mess with it. Miss me with that. <laughs> okay, mine is that the gym is a bastion of toxic masculinity. <laughs> well... <laughs> I'm happy for Andy to take this and explain this at the end. Should Andy explain this? Look, <laughs> if you want me to explain it at the end, I'm more than happy to, to get right in there. Have you ever been in the gym? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's where my perspective is coming from. Someone Maybe a bit warped. From the outside looking in. Andy's been reading too much BuzzFeed. Too much salon. So Andy, what have we got on the cards today? What's happening? First, first segment. Doogie C is going to take us through the Medivac Wars. That's huge. Absolutely huge. That'll be first off the bat after jumping to conclusions. And the second one will be Alex explaining Russiagate. And Hang on, I think we've got some stuff in between that, oh, don't we? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The host is messed up. We've got in between. <laughs> I don't know who's the host. I'm the host now. I'm the captain now. <laughs> the uh, in between, everybody's favourite, beta male of the week. Two outstanding nominations, in my yep. opinion. But let's kick it off with Doogie C. Explain to us these Medivac laws. Okay, boys and girls, Medivac, big development in domestic politics this week. We've put our domestic politics at the front of the podcast, just an editorial decision. Huge, so I'm going to bring it to you um, right down the barrels. Just lay it down. So Medivac laws, those clever listeners of ours could probably understand it stands for medical evacuation. And it's to do with asylum seekers on currently on Manus Island and Nauru. And the reason why this is significant is we have these asylum seekers who come to Australia, um, they get put in offshore detention, and then there's the question, well, what do you do with them when they get sick? Now, previously, before this week, we had a system where there was kind of an undisclosed uh, bureaucracy decision that would get made in life-threatening cases about whether or not these sick asylum seekers can come to Australia. Uh, right now, as of this week, a new law was passed. Uh, it was already passed in the Senate, but now it was passed in the House, uh, which gives uh, the onus to the doctors instead of the bureaucracy on 
whether or not those asylum seekers can come and get medical assistance in Australia. Um, so what the new law is, is that if these asylum seekers can get the approval of, and recommendation of two doctors to come to Australia, uh, the decision then gets passed immediately on to the Minister for Immigration, who can refuse the decision, uh, but on whatever grounds he would or she would refuse the decision that can be appealed in courts. Um, so, uh, also, just uh, so you know the current situation, there are, I think, about a 1,000 asylum seekers uh, on offshore detention, or it might just be uh, Nauru or Manus Island. But anyway, out of the 1,000, there are 300 uh, who have already, as of right now, got the approval of two doctors, have all their paperwork done, and are ready to come to Australia. Now, there are people who have a range of different concerns um, about this, and there's a range of people who also support this. Uh, this legislation is largely off the back of a whole lot of demonstrations across Australia. Um, Andy, Alex, do you have any initial reactions? Alex, you want to get the ball rolling? Um, so, my, just to clarify, my, my understanding was prior to this, if they wanted to receive exceptional medical help, it had to be signed off personally by Peter Dutton. Was that the case? Sure. Well, it was uh, what has been described as a secret, a secretive circle sure. that makes the decision. Sure. I think I, I think Peter Dutton had the end call though right. as to whether anyone would come. Um, now, obviously, uh, the concerns largely have been based around the idea that if we let this go through, then the boats will start up again. That's the main idea. Um, the Morrison government, along with the Abbott government, have kind of hung their hat. One of their premier, I guess, policy wins um, has been the idea that they have stopped the boats mm -hmm. successfully. Operation Sovereign Borders. Operation Sovereign Borders. Now, we should recognise um, that I'm of the opinion anyway that the state is only a state insofar as it can determine who can come in and out of the country. And uh, where that is not the case, they are no longer a state because they no longer have any kind of defined borders. Um, so I would say that the first duty of the state is almost always to uh, protect its own sovereignty via borders. Now, the contention specific to this, I'm not exactly sure, my, my, my contention is, I'm not exactly sure how this bill particularly gives a means by which uh, the relevant, the asylum seekers who get medical help will actually become Australian citizens. Mm. I'm fairly certain that the, the bill itself was restricted to um, suggest that those who do come will remain in detention. Sure, so help. the bill is limited to those people who are currently on Nauru and Manus Island. What skeptics will say, I watched Andrew Bolt give his spiel on it, he says, <coughs> This government, the kind of Abbott, Turnbull, uh, ScoMo government, has up to this point let in 900 uh, asylum seekers from offshore detention into Australia for medical reasons, among others. Um, and basically, none of them go back. It just gets held up in courts. They yeah. end up saying, and there's kind of nothing we can do yeah. uh, once they get here. Um, and we didn't really hear in any of the news if there's a plan for those people once they get medical assistance to go back yeah. or go back to their home country sure. um, it just wasn't part of the national discussion yeah. at all so if we bring them it's almost at least from how the media sees it a kind of acceptance that they'll probably say yeah it seems like there is a disconnect between the actual uh, the realities 
once they get here and the actual confines of the legislation? Because obviously the, the confines of legislation specifically refer to those who are currently on Nauru and not those who will sure. come afterwards. Um, Labor seemed to make that pretty explicit. They said, well, it's in the legislation. But if the actual, the reality of the situation is, well, once they get here, um, they're gonna stay, sure. then uh, obviously that's quite a stark sure. differential. So Tony Abbott's initial reaction, this is a quote from Tony who said, under Labor, it's get on a boat, get to Nauru, get sick and get to Australia. Uh, that's what Tony says. Um, there's also been um, federal sources that have said that up to 14,000 asylum seekers in Indonesia could attempt a dangerous journey to Australia after the new laws were passed. Yeah. That's allegedly the brief that's been given to SCOMO and to the Labor Party. Um, it's a federal source unnamed. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt. Um, but if you're asking the question whether it will encourage or discourage people smugglers, yeah. you'd probably lean towards it would encourage people smugglers. Now, I'm actually quite supportive of the idea that the process by which people are allowed to come to Australia for medical reasons or not allowed is more transparent than it was before. Just generally, in terms of transparency of government, I'm generally yeah. for that. Sure. Um, the caveat would be that if the criteria to which uh, you, the criteria which you had to meet to get to Australia is two treating doctors who don't have to be on the facility. They can, I think, be Australian doctors. Uh, that's all they have to be is Australian doctors. Um, that's a pretty, it's not a high burden of proof. No. It's not a high burden of proof. Now, that does get referred to um, another panel, I think, of eight doctors and who have like 72 hours to make a decision and then ASIO does like a background check. And so it does get caught up in all of these bureaucracies, but the crux of it is it's now much easier for asylum seekers to seek medical treatment in Australia. Yeah. So um, one, of, one of the fundamental questions, of course, is, well, who gets priority? There are a number of many uh, in the public health system, many Australians who are caught up not able to get the, the relevant medical help that they need. Um, and an argument would be, well, you know, they're paying taxes, they're here legally, perhaps like we should look after our own citizens first. That's a potentially legitimate argument. Um, also, if the, re the reality of the situation is once these people come, then they stay, well, another, uh, uh, I guess, um, pragmatic point would be, well, there are a whole bunch of people who've waited on the list legally to come to Australia. Um, surely they would get priority. Um, plenty of those people are sick. Plenty of those people are actually too poor to make the journey because you have to remember that a lot of time these people who are coming, these asylum seekers, are actually paying money to the people smugglers to get them there. So it's often the case that it's not actually the poorest in these countries who will come. It's kind of the, the people who have managed to scrape up and scrape together enough money to uh, make the journey. Um, the journey is incredibly dangerous, I think, uh, under Labor, there was uh, something like 2,000 deaths at sea or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, awful numbers, catastrophic numbers. It's, that is a, an absolute crisis. And to encourage people to make a journey that's undeniably treacherous, even in the best conditions with the best boats, um, I think is irresponsible. Um, the question, of course, whether we should expand the intake of migrants is a legitimate one. Um, and depending on what you think the capacity is of Australia's medical system, transport system, you may have a differing opinion on it. Um, but the idea that we're going to start up the boats again is definitely one now um, that is going to be a decisive and divisive election issue. So I think mm -hmm. there is potential here. This could be the, um, 
the moment where Harry snatches the golden snitch to save Gryffindor from an impending uh, Slytherin defeat. Where ScoMo Can you has go a check that, please. The camera. Yeah. Yeah. So ScoMo ha- may have just got himself a golden snitch here potentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. We're back on. Um, yeah. Bolt called set advised ScoMo to call a snap collection. Um, but I think that's that. That's all we got is that this is just going to be another piece of the immigration puzzle. Um, it ignites the um, what do we do about illegal refugees debate. Um, I don't think it influences it in a whole lot of ways, um, but you know it is what it is. The other reason why it was a big deal this week is because it's the first time that an elected government had lost a vote in the House, mm. I think, ever. Sure. Um, so, as you would remember, uh, Malcolm Turnbull's seat was not won by a Liberal uh, in his absence, which, as far as I'm aware, means the Liberals do not have a majority. Not a clear majority, anyway. Um, and so that means that Labor has passed a bill through the House from the opposition. That's right. For the right. first time in Australian history. Yeah. Uh, what you've got also to remember is that whilst Karen Phelps was running as an independent, many of her policies were essentially Labor policies. Um, climate change, Nauru. Those were the two premier policy pieces that she ran on as an independent. Um, and that's what I think as it was the, the, the Wentworth election was largely, in my estimation, a reactionary knee jerk type of thing to Malcolm getting ousted. Um, you saw Dave Sharma, who was the Liberal representative, was actually quite a good candidate. If you have a look at him, squeaky clean, really smart guy, got 90.95 in the HSE, like heaps smart. Um, and they, they booed him. Um, and Phelps is essentially running, uh, it's almost a green agenda from the seat as an independent. And this is what you're going to see. Um, you can see that Get Up and all these other type of operations are funding independents who are actually running a kind of green uh, far left-wing policy. Um, you can see this all over the place. Um, it's going to be interesting because it, it, if ScoMo wants to step away from that, he's going to have to distinguish himself as, in my estimation anyway, at least centre-right, if not a bit further right. Cool. Huge. So that's uh, Medivac done. And also, you got done. any headline reactions to Medivac? Oh, mostly just... Um, you guys covered it pretty well, but I think just for the sake of transparency in regards to the Australian public, I think that if you're uh, the Morrison government, you need to make it abundantly clear what the what's going on, like especially what's going to happen to the uh, refugees after they receive this medical treatment. Sure. Um, you've got to like, assure that they're going to go through the due process and processing that they need to go through. Um, so from that, that point, I think you guys covered it fairly well. Thanks, mate. Well, thanks, Andos. I appreciate right. that. We appreciate, appreciate your encouragement. encouragement. So, uh, moving moving on, we've got our favourite segment. Well, my favourite segment, personally. <laughs> the uh, got to give what the kids want. This is this is what the people on the street want. We do like the information. We walk down the street, and uh, they don't. The public don't ask us that much. What's the next uh, domestic policy or international? They ask us about the beta male of the week. Who's going to be beta male of the week? Particularly since we've essentially doubled the. Uh, the amount of prospective candidates since <laughs> yeah. last week. We've got a, it's not just a one one way or the highway. We've actually got a competition yeah, for beta male. Beta male is gender inclusive. Beta male is gender inclusive now. Biology be damned. 
Huge. Huge. Now, my candidate, uh, my good friend, Chauncey DeVega, his name is. Who's that? Can you tell us a bit about Chauncey? He, well, Chauncey wrote an article Chauncey for... Chauncey a guy or a girl? Chauncey's a male, I think. It's tough to assume. You assume? I am assuming. You know what happens when you assume, Andos? Makes an ass out of you and me. That's right. And exactly you go to jail, right. as we'll cover later in the, in, we'll the, cover. Uh, in the podcast. But um, yeah, look, from this, he's wearing his, uh, his turtleneck and blazer, so I'm oh, fairly certain. Can I just say, uh, I don't have a long list of pet peeves. Blazer and anything else besides a button-up, basically it's an offence. I don't It's worse oh. than a party foul. I think you can wear a white shirt and a blazer. No, no way. You know who do it? Musicians. They think it's okay. Bummy musicians. I don't know, particularly jazz musicians, blues musicians, just think the blazer they're and the They're just cooler shirt. than you, mate. They're just cooler than you. They are cooler than you. Yeah, but they do it, and then they wear a pair of baggy jeans and, like, Converse, and not, sometimes a fedora. Mate, I'm not fedora. sure where you've been hanging out, but I haven't nice seen that touch. But, um, I've seen it sometimes, Andy. Don't be... Sorry, my bad. That's on me. But our good friend Chauncey, or my good friend, wrote an article <laughs> for Salon.com, another BuzzFeed-esque news outlet, if you want to call it that. Disgraceful. Um, wrote an article called, Has Trump Wrecked Our Sex Life? Post-Trump's Sex Disorder is Real, Says Sex Therapist. Now, what are... He says, what is post-traumatic Trump disorder? How does Donald Trump's misogyny and other unhealthy (laughs) behaviour towards women reflect deeper systemic cultural problems in America around gender, sex and intimacy? Most Americans of conscience and decent people, more generally, are appalled by Donald Trump's personal and public behaviour. The deplorables. Yet there are others who are aroused by Donald Trump and see him as a symbol of sexual potency and power. And now... Say I. Here is the kicker, the power right and the kisser from Chauncey. <laughs> he says, Donald Trump is a right-wing authoritarian and aspiring tyrant. The fascist conception of the state is very masculine in the most crude and basic sense. In this way of thinking about politics and society, Donald Trump leads a political cult whose members want to literally be inside of him, to become <laughs> him, to have libidinal relationship with the great leader. Libidinal. This includes both men and women. <laughs> The fascist aesthetic can be very erotic for the followers. Here, here, I say. Libidinal. <laughs> Libidinal. Chauncey really just hit us with thesaurus.com. Libidinal. <laughs> Siri, define libidinal, please. <laughs> he had a couple minutes left for her to submit the article. Quick thesaurus search. <laughs> um, Got to get that deadline for the professor. <laughs> headline reaction, Dukes. What do you think? You know what? I think it says uh, a lot more about the people affected than it does about the subject matter of the article. I think the people have an influenced libido from Trump's election. Alex, what do you think? What are yours, what's your reaction? Uh, Chauncey's undoubtedly a beta male. I think we can, <laughs> I think we can all agree on that. Um, well, well, but he's beneath the beta male on top of the fact that he's got an appalling sense of fashion um, and I would say that often that sense of fashion is characterised by beta males um, he's way off and he's, he's another one of these people that you find who likes to speak on behalf of other people yeah the Danny Radcliffe um, also, yeah, syndrome you're, you're Danny Rad Danny Savages and <laughs> the Horcrux king the Horcrux king um, 
The problem you've got is uh, the same people who want to characterise Trump followers as part of a cult where we want to be inside of him. That's arguable. That's Some, generous. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. <laughs> um, if he wants to do that, then he should have no problem with everyone else slapping lefties with the term beta male, as well yeah. as a bunch of other things you'd like to say to him. Well, we first saw this article come up off an Instagram meme account. Yeah. To be honest, I thought it was fake news. <laughs> I thought, surely not. But Chauncey really has gone ahead and done it. We put it on our uh, Carnage House Instagram story. Little plug there. Go follow Carnage House Productions on the Instagram. Um, so yeah, first candidate, Chauncey, done and dusted. Zander. You know what? I will say, I will say, you know, there is something slightly rousing about alpha male coming in, taking control of the joint and setting the ship right a little bit, I would say. It's power. Yeah. It's success, yeah. It's a bit of success. And you know what they say? Americans like a boss. Yeah. You know what Donald Trump's saying to all these that he's saying, you want to come find me when you, we come holler at a real boss? Mm. That's what he's that's saying. Got, that's why he's got the supermodel wife. That's why he's got supermodel wife. The ladies' lot of money. Yeah, he's set. Cars. Nice cars. He's got a nice big house nice at the moment. Big <laughs> house. Golf got a course. Nice tan. This beautiful, beautiful <laughs> nice hairline. Hair. Nice hair. Nice little toupee. <laughs> You know, you forget how tall he is. He's like six two or something. He's, a, he's, he's a legit 6'4". He's not. He's not a five ten, five eleven. He's not no sneaking scrubber. into the club through the back door. He's a. He's well and truly a founding member of the six foot club. We he's love in that. There. He's in there. And you know what? I don't. You know, women love. I'm gonna say it. A tall. They love a tall. Powerful. Powerful. T- tanned. Beautiful tan. <laughs> Man, he's got a bit of money. <laughs> That's what they love. The he looks like he says yeah. I spend a bit of time on the golf course working on the tan, but I also do deals on the golf course. That's mm. why I got the watch. That's why I got the Maybach. The coupe. Got, got the coupe. Got a kid named Baron. Kid <laughs> named Baron. I got the coupe and the tube. <laughs> Come get it. All right. My beta male of the week. Not technically a male, but. And again. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Dr. Zan coming in with the alternative facts. With the source. With the source. It's going to Guild Triggs. What's a real name? Spell it out. Gillian. Gillian the Dillian stop fooling tricks. So, what Gillian the reptilian tricks. You know what? That's a good one. Because I think she might be part of the, the globalist new world order. The reptiles. Shout out to the Rothschilds if you're listening. And the Clintons. And the Clintons. <laughs> I think every, body count, Clinton body count, look it up at home. What happened to Seth Rich? <laughs> Who knows? You know that um, they... The, you know when the DNC got hacked they um, when they did analysis of the file speed download I think it's a little bit by the by but it's still kind of related they did analysis of the file speed download and the only means by which the person who hacked the DNC the server could have downloaded the files that fast was literally USB it had to be someone on the premises totally underreported yeah had to be someone on the premises people saying that the Russians hacked it they may have got the data eventually but the, the actual download speed, you cannot do it via like a, a cyber means. It literally has to just be a, a USB. Or the, old, the old reliable, the USB. Yeah. Officeworks will sort you out. Go talk to the guys in Officeworks. <laughs> a little bit like JB sometimes. <laughs> Some of the operators down there. Some groovy no, it's operators. Get, it's a little bit like uh, Bunnings, you know, when you walk in Officeworks and there's someone... Yeah, maybe yeah. slightly dopey, but they can. They, they, yeah, they grant you at the front. It's service. We like that. It's for the punter. We love that. No, they don't like to follow on. You notice they'll say hi, how are you going, and kind of that's it. 
It's because they probably don't want to be there. It would be my assumption. Don't be rude, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, mine. Oh, it's going to Gil Triggs. Professor Julian Triggs. Now, we should bear in mind, again, this is another taxpayer-funded racket. Which is what? Australian Human Rights Commission. Australian now, Human Rights Commission. Yeah, it's got a nice name. It's got a great name. The Ministry of uh, Happiness. Ministry of Magic, one might call it. <laughs> Down at the AHRC. Now, uh, a couple of things before to give us some context. Jill Triggs was on a pay packet, uh, ballpark. And how much do you reckon she was bringing home every year as the uh, top dog at the AHRC? It'd be, it'd be some serious honey dowsies. Well, I mean, it has to be a lot of money because without her, no one would have human rights. <laughs> so she's got to be. You know what happens, you, you know, because you, you, if you cut someone open, you don't find human rights. You do find Jill Triggs in there, though. Just, you know. <laughs> really? <laughs> Can't do that. Just got, yeah. yeah, go fix the camera. Yeah. Go fix the camera, guys. Okay, so she was on. She was at the top, top of the tree. Um... Four hundred eight thousand. Four hundred k. Four hundred eight thousand. Big that's, one. That's more than a lot of CEOs of uh, listed companies. Four hundred G birds. <laughs> um, so six fellow commissioners. So there has to be six fellow commissioners. Three hundred thirty-one rubber band banks each <laughs> a year. That's an annual figure. Uh, three other executives had two hundred thousand dollar plus packages. Further eighteen staff earned up to one hundred thirty thousand dollars. So the commission paid a total of sixteen million in wages each year. <laughs> if I was the prime minister, I reckon I'd make the highest wage—not maybe not the highest, but the uh, well—I definitely tie the wage of public servants to the median wage of Australian, the median salary of Australians after tax. I think that would be a good initiative. Then I'd halve it. <laughs> divided by two <laughs> per <laughs> public sector official account. Per square, divided again by the per square metre each that they're occupying. Per litre of water they consume. <laughs> per per mention of diversity <laughs> in government reports. Okay. All right. So, she's a. Yiltrix has, has had quite a few things to say about Sharia law and uh, Catholicism, but quite recently she drew a comparison between. Catholicism and uh, Sharia law. I'll see if I can get the exact quote. Um, but she has previously compared uh, the Islamic system with the Catholic diktats from the Vatican. Uh, warned Pauline Hanser her burqa ban could be unconstitutional. Um, also says Sharia law should be allowed. Sharia law should be allowed. Yeah. She says, uh, Julian Triggs did in 2017 say Sharia courts should be allowed. That's right. Uh, she says, Sharia divorce courts should be allowed in Australia under a system where a Muslim man can leave his wife by saying, I divorce you three times, and a woman's worth, word is worth less than a man's. I think it's half. It could, could be half. Be half. Oh. Well, regardless, regardless, uh, you talk about human rights. It's mm. probably one Obviously thing not equal. Mm, probably one thing you should probably look at. Um, human rights. Jillian. Jillian the reptilian. Uh, so she, she also mentions that Australian, Australian, Australia's liberal democracy prides itself being accommodating to different codes of law for different groups. Halacha law for Jews, canon law for Catholics, tribal law for the Aboriginal communities, Islamic law for Muslims. 
These are where the double standards we have to face from politicians, media, commentators and bigots. See, you know, you know what happens is they tell you, like, I'm a fan of multiculturalism. I like having different people from different places speak different languages, try different foods. You know, I like that. Of course, I'm you're a talking fan about of that. The food, well, the so when they tell you, but when they tell you, you know, yeah. you know, it won't change the laws. We'll have it'll just be all good. And then they tell you, you know, five, ten years later, uh, actually, we're going to have some Sharia courts. I hope you don't mind. It's like, come on. What come are you on, doing? Mate. mate. It's a bit of a Trojan horse type situation, isn't it? They say, this is where it is. Why are you opposing this? Mm. It's just called equality. Yeah. And underneath equality is Sharia divorce courts yeah. well, and like, the rest of it. Well, that ties in well with another segment, which I think we'll do after we finalise the bad mail of the week. Which is a story coming out of England, but um, how how do we go for beta mail of the week? Well, considering that Alex and I put forward nominations, I think the judging comes down to you. Do okay. we see? Well, we had um, what's the name of Mr. Turtleneck? Chauncey De Vega. Well, Chauncey, I think, um, gets the beta mail of the week for his sexual confusion. I think he gets beta mail of the week. I think so. Um, Triggs put forward a good performance. Triggs did put up a good fight. <laughs> on, a, on a different <laughs> week. She tried her best. <laughs> You'd almost call it trigonometry, wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. Let's just get tricky with it. Let's get tricky with it. Okay. Now, I would like to just briefly mention a story. It's kind yeah. of in a similar vein to what we've just been talking about um, in terms of Sharia courts, a bit of bait and switch with the immigration... Um, and if it changes some of our cultural um, institutions or not. Now, we've had, over the past couple of years, I'd say from probably 2016, we've had, like, kind of hate speech laws. In Australia, we had 16C, right? Mm. Um, yeah. In Canada, there was 18C. Now, in Britain, they have something similar. I don't know what it's called. Um, but when this kind of hate speech laws, you know, anti discrimination laws these ones are particularly about gender now we know following on from um, our beta male segment of the week that gender doesn't really have a real meaning anymore it could be anything like a monopoly chance card so what we've seen in the past couple of years is laws saying you can't misgender somebody that is a crime do you want to what, what's misgendering do ma'am okay ma'am Okay, so misgendering is when somebody identifies as a particular sex, which could, or a particular gender. Gender, yeah, because you've got to remember those two separate. could be a particular gender, which could be one of a multitude of genders. I think the Ontario Human Rights Commission says there are at least 50-something, each with their own pronouns, features. Their own sign as well. Their own sign. They get get their own sign. Um, (laughs) If you do not miss, if you do not acknowledge that person in their gender which could actually because gender is fluid you can be one gender one day different gender the next day it's like a roll the dice well look i wouldn't say that but it is fluid in the sense that you can you can be one gender one day a different gender the next day there are no actual hard there are no there are no constraints to it um just living your best and there's many different genders you could be so what's happened is a woman a mother her name is, um, I'll find her name in a second. Her name uh, is Kate Scotto. She lives in 
Hertfordshire, England. And this story's only come up this week, uh, but her arrest took place on December 1 of 2018 last year. She misgendered somebody online on the internet. Uh, oh, so it was over the internet. Over the internet. Mm. She was consequently arrested by three officers in front of her 10-year-old daughter and 20-month-old son who came into her home, took her back to the police station, detained her for seven hours inside a jail cell, confiscated her laptop and phone, both of which two months later have not been returned and both of which she needs to continue her study to get a PhD in forensic psychology. So... It was a big furphy <laughs> when they told us, don't worry, nobody's going to go to jail for misgendering someone. Um, sorry, that's exactly what you get to go to jail for these days. Over the internet, no less. Over the internet. And and here's, hold on, one last detail to the story. Okay. The Hertfordshire Police Department confirmed the arrest saying, quote, we take all reports of malicious communication seriously. Wow. I'll tell you what they don't Is this a chapter of 1984 or is this real life? Well, you know what? England's pretty much gone as far as I'm concerned in terms of identity politics. Yeah, they're gone. They're gone. They're gone. Get out of here. Um, They're done. I'll give you you a a pretty brutal example if you want it. If anyone wants to look up at home, the Rotherham rape scandal. Mm -hmm. Basically, over a period of several years, more than a thousand young girls Mm -hmm. were groomed, drugged, and sexually assaulted by a group of men of what were described as Asian ethnicity, um, which were basically, they were basically from Pakistan. Um, And despite constant, constant reports from these girls and friends, family, whatever. And Tommy Robinson. Tommy Robinson, the police did nothing about it. And so when there was an investigation into it, the police said to the investigators, we did not want to appear as racist. That's what they said. They said the reason we didn't want to investigate was because we didn't want to appear as racist. So, I mean, we often want to talk about, yeah, you talk about being oppressed and you talk about, well, racism is rampant. That is actual racism. When you deliberately don't act upon uh, verifiable evidence on the basis that you might offend someone. So the reason why you have to uphold free speech and take it to its absolute furthest possible extent is in the event where even though something is offensive, it may be true. So uh, as far as I'm concerned, England is lost. Uh, you look at England has become, uh, sorry, London has become the acid attack capital of the world. Knife crime. Knife crime capital of the world. Um, and I mean, it is appalling. Partic- London is, is basically a hellhole at the moment. It's going to hell in a handbasket and there's, there's, there's a lot of reasons why you'd want to leave the EU. Um, forced migration where you don't know where the people are coming from, that's a pretty good reason. Definitely. Definitely. Right, Alex. Alex has got the big story. Yeah. yeah. International. This is the big elephant the big fish. in the room. The blue it's ticket, the blue ribbon. Big fish. It's the big, the big prize. Sit yourselves down. Hey, make sure you ready? Got, make ready sure to give us some, some lowdown on the 
I'm going to do my best. Gate. I'm going to do my best. Conclusions. Um, you've got to realise this: the, the tentacles of the deep state are so long that to, to get... You, you chop off one head, you get three. It's a three-headed hydra with the deep state, as we're going to find out. And I'm going to do my best to keep this brief, but also just give you the key facts. So, as everyone, if anyone watches any type of US politics, you would know that Donald Trump uh, has been under investigation by the FBI, led by uh, special counsel Robert Mueller. Um, Mueller came on a little bit later, but at least since July 31st, 2016. So, the story, I'm going to give the story, you know, in the, in, in the other guys, how David Ershon goes, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to start at the, the end, I'm going to go to the start, and I'm going to go to the middle. Maybe given a couple flashbacks, maybe different perspectives, you know, different characters, depth, you know. Okay. So, Basically, this week, um, the U.S. Senate Intelligence Committee accepts that there was no collusion between the Trump campaign and Russia. And the Senate Intelligence The Committee. Senate Intelligence Committee. This was after the House, which is essentially an all-Republican committee, had come to the same conclusion. So what happened was the House said, okay, well, we can't really find any direct evidence of collusion. And then the Democrats were all like, well, that was just all you guys, all the, all the Republicans. So, of course, the Senate did their own thing. They found no direct evidence. Okay, that's been confirmed by both sides. Confirmed. No direct evidence of collusion. Now, of course, we do remember that there was some type of Russian interference with the election, but to actually tie that to the Trump campaign, they found no, no evidence. So, the question is, what's happened up until now? Okay, and this is, a lot of this stuff you'll be like, you don't even read about this. Like, this is ridiculous. Mm. Okay. Hold on, just pause for one second. I'm pausing. We talk about Russian interference in the election from, like, bots and ale an alleged $100,000 Facebook ad spend. Yeah, that's it. $100,000 to influence the election, allegedly. Mm. Um, but we would also note that Saudi Arabia funded about 25% of Clinton's campaign. You also remember that whilst Clinton was Secretary of State, she sold 20% of the US uranium to the Russians. But what I'm saying is that, yeah, yeah. But what I'm saying is sure. that if you look at who's exerting who's, the most influence yeah. or who's selling the most election influence to other countries, it's Hillary Clinton by a landslide. Yeah. Yeah, so basically, you're exactly right. Um, Hillary Clinton has a lot of dirty money, a lot of big pharma money, um, a lot of MIC money. No one likes a war. Wall no one likes a, no one likes war more than Hillary Clinton. Mm. She'd never seen a, a missile she didn't like. Um, so, uh, Centel, Senate Intel Committee Chairman Richard Burr said, "If we write a report based upon the facts we have, then we don't have anything that would suggest that there was collusion by the Trump campaign in Russia." All right. So, if we go back to the beginning, we want to find out why the investigation was there in the first place. We're going to find out what the Banking Royal Commission found out. There's actually been a whole lot of dirty dealing, as you would imagine. <laughs> a whole lot of slipping and sliding. A whole lot of five Ds of dodging the regulators. Except the regulators <laughs> here were in on it. The old DC dip and cool. twirl. So, it all kind of starts. You can go back a little bit further, but it all kind of starts with what was an, is now described as the Steele dossier. Okay, now the Steele dossier was uh, a dossier is essentially a document or a, a bunch of documents uh, containing events, personalities, um, trying to describe, uh, I guess, research, summarise research. So, what happened was, if we go back to before July thirty first, twenty sixteen. Um, where the official investigation into Trump was launched. Now, this was just prior to the November election in 2016. Mm -hmm. Convenient. Um, 
what happened was the DNC and the Hillary Clinton... The DNC, the Democratic Democratic National Committee. That's right. So so the Democratic Party and Hillary Clinton campaign paid a guy uh, called... Glenn Simpson at Fusion GPS. Now, he runs essentially what is a research firm. So this is what these guys do, okay? They go out, they find research on your opponents. So then Simpson then goes to his mate, ex-MI6 operative, uh, Christopher Steele. So Christopher Steele then goes out and finds... Uh, what was supposed to be a whole bunch of dirt tr- uh, and a whole bunch of links connecting the Trump campaign with Russia. Mm-hmm. Basically, the allegation was that the Trump campaign and Russians had co- colluded together to get research on Hillary Clinton. That was the allegation, right? And they'd done so successfully. Now, what then happens is when it starts getting really messed up because Steele actually didn't have a lot of verifiable evidence. And this is what we're going to find out a little bit later on. But, so what then happened was, Bruce Orr's wife, Nellie Orr, who worked for Fusion GPS, this is the same, this is uh, Glenn Simpson's company, Fusion GPS, that paid Christopher Steele. She then gives this dossier to the FBI. Now the FBI, as Comey says later on, knew that this was paid for and organised by the Democratic National uh, Committee, okay, the DNC and the Clinton campaign. They knew it was. Okay. So then what happens after that is that the FBI takes this dossier and then gives it and takes it through the FISA court. Now, the FISA is uh, where you go to get a... Uh, a warrant? A warrant for um, kind of like wiretapping and um, all kinds of investigation and that type of stuff, right? So, he goes, uh, and it's got to get ticked off by DOJ officials, a um, whole bunch of levels of bureaucracy to get the this Department kind of, of justice. justice. Yeah. So, it's got to get all these, go through all these layers to get to the top. It gets to the top. They didn't, the, the FBI did not mention the fact that they were aware that the DNC and Hillary Clinton campaign had paid for this. They knew that they had because they got it from Fusion GPS, which was the, the, the firm hired by the DNC. Okay, they knew it. They did not mention it to the DOJ. Now, DO, now that's important because the FBI has a statutory obligation to disclose where they got the information from and what the relevant origins of the information is. Okay, they didn't do that. Okay, one of the first places to slip a deal on the slide. Right. <laughs> oh, no. So. Um, Big slippery slide. Now, not only this, so we, we find all this out because there was an email chain indicating that uh, key officials knew the steel dossier was both from the DNC and it was bogus. It was okay. fake news. It was fake news. So the email exchanges kept from congressional, congressional investigators for over two years, so they didn't want to turn it over, included then FBI Director James Comey. Key FBI investigators in the Russia probe and lawyers in the DOJ's National Security Division. So you got already you've got the FBI, the DOJ, and the DNC all in cahoots together, trying to get this warrant and trying to trying to start uh, investigating. Uh, the deep state trying to take down the outsider. Well, that's right because this. But bear in mind, this is when Donald Trump was still viewed as a massive outsider. This was prior to the November election. Mm. Okay, so this was early 2016, late 2015. Um, 
So what the warrant was designed to do was to spy on the Trump campaign, particularly Carter Page, who's one of the, the campaign uh, managers. So, the FBI gets, gets it, uses the dossier as the evidence to get the warrant. The warrant gets passed, gets signed through. The warrant actually gets signed off by several people. This is really important. Multiple levels of the Justice Department and FISA court judges approved each application. So they got four applications for 90-day periods of surveillance starting in October 2016, all claiming that Page was being cultivated as an unwitting agent of the Russian government. So their idea was, so they basically got Christopher Steele's info who says that Page is a uh, informant slash working with the Russians, colluding with the Russians. They then say, okay, well, that deserves surveillance, right? Um, so... Former FBI Director James Comey, former Deputy Attorney General Sally Yates, and a federal judge approved the first visa warrant. So now that they can spy on them, right? After Trump fired Yates and Comey, Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein, who he appointed, signed off on the fourth application in June 2017. Right, so we've now got the situation where they've got a, a, a surveillance warrant, essentially illegally, um, Comey has lied, the FBI and the DOJ have all been in cahoots using unverified and salacious allegations by Christopher Steele as documented evidence to spy on the Trump campaign. Okay, so what happens next? This is where we go to our boy Peter Strzok. Strzok and Page, the lovers, yeah. with the texts. So, Peter Strzok... <laughs> Peter Strzok was, the, uh, at the time, the second highest ranking counterintelligence agent at the FBI. So he's, this is, this is what messes up, right? This is what's ridiculous. He's involved in every single thing to do with intelligence at the FBI. Every single thing. So, once they got the visa warrant, uh, Strzok approved the Bureau's decision to launch its investigation in July 2016. So prior to this, they've got the warrant. They've... They're alleging that they got some dirty deeds and um, they've opened an investigation official. So this is about two or three months before mm. the election. Now, we also understand that our friend Strzok was a key player in the Clinton email investigation um, and he played a key role in editing the conclusions such that the language of the conclusion was to say Hillary mucked up but does not deserve criminal prosecution instead of Hillary mucked up so bad we should prosecute her. That's exactly now, right. Now, he was that guy. He was that guy. Good friends with, with Hillary. Yep, so that's Now, right. he's now involved in the Trump uh, investigation. Well, you have to remember these were all running concurrently. These were running at the same time. So if ever there was a conflict of interest, it would be definitely evident here. And that's, you're exactly right. So just to go to that, Strzok was uh, responsible for downgrading the language regarding Clinton's conduct. So Clinton, and I'll give you a, a, a there is a little bit of a run sheet here. So, uh, the Clinton server timeline, as we like to call it. Clinton server timeline. December 2014. The emails. December 2014, January 2015. Undisclosed Clinton staff member instructs Paul Combetta, so Paul Combetta is a, a computer specialist, um, to remove archives of Clinton emails from the PRN server, but he forgets. Now, the PRN server is the private server that uh, Hillary Clinton did use to distribute classified uh Information, right? You're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to use a personal server. You have to use a government server. She did it. She knew she did it. 
That's December 2015. March 4th, 2015. Hillary receives subpoena from House Select Committee on Benghazi. So there was obviously the big Benghazi scandal. She was Secretary of State. Mm -hmm. um, she was responsible for that. Then that's mm -hmm. another big stain on her career, but that's by the by. So she receives a subpoena instructing her to preserve and deliver all emails from her personal service. March the 4th, okay? March 25th. Combetta, so the IT guy, has a conference call with President Clinton's staff. March... With, she's not president. Well, she's time. calling herself president at that point. Right. So you know how, yeah. She called herself president at that yeah, point. Yeah, March 2015. Yeah. Huge. So, <laughs> March 25th mm -hmm. to the 31st, 2015, Combetta has oh shit moment and realises he forgot to wipe Hillary's email. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. So, so then he, he promptly does it using Bleachbit. Now Bleachbit is, if you look it up, it's a pretty much a, a program where you just, it deletes everything on a server, right? Yeah, but not only deletes it, deletes it and mucks it up so badly, it That's can right. never ever be retrieved. Yeah. Bleachbit, clean your system and free disk space. Whole lot of disk space for the Clintons. That's right. So, uh, February 18, so after he's had the oh shit moment, February 18, 2016. So that's um, about 11 months later. Mm -hmm. So he gets called in by the FBI, right? The oh, boys. No, the oh, boys, no, right? no, And no. I think this is a separate division from Strops, but not the, at, the, at the moment, it then gets elevated to Strockies. Convert a meet with FBI and denies knowing about the existence of the subpoena from the House Select Committee on Benghazi at the time he wiped the server. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know. Not to me. Okay, so basically, Hillary Hillary got the um, the subpoena about eleven months earlier. Yeah, about eleven. About eleven months earlier, and so old mate Cambetto is saying. Yeah, I didn't know. Yeah, I didn't okay. know. I'm just wiping and the server. <laughs> now, they're kind of dumb either way. You've got Combetta who didn't know. Yeah. And like, they're dumb because they did it. And they're also dumb claiming they didn't know. Yeah. But also, Hillary knew that all the emails and the documents that she was using on her private server had a big C on the front. Yeah. Now, we know that C stands for confidential. She says she didn't know it stands for confidential. She thought she could just email them around willy-nilly, thinking out there that C stands for cookies. <laughs> Sorry, Hill. No, no, no chillery. Not that. C stands not for chatting that. about it with your friends. <laughs> cool. So, stands to have a conversation about it. Yeah. It, it, it seems it's cool to distribute. <laughs> now, so, February 18, right? You'll, you'll find out Combetta's not really made of strong stuff. <laughs> February 18, sucks. 2016. Better meet with FBI denies knowing about the existence of the subpoena. Now, the May the third, so about two weeks later, Combetta has follow-up meeting with the FBI and admits that he was aware of the existence of the preservation request and that okay. the fact that it meant he should not disturb Clinton's email data on the PRN server. Okay, so now you've got a situation where, just specifically regarding Clinton's emails, um, she got subpoenaed, she didn't turn it over, she hired this guy, and instead of turning it over, she asked this guy to delete a private server. Um, which has had a whole lot of stuff on it, as we'll find out. Whole lot of stuff. This guy then does the deed, does the dirty, uh, pretends he doesn't know about it to the FBI, then and finally admits to it. Okay. Now, so let's understand that the FBI and Clinton and the deep state can still work their way around this whole fiasco without any jail time or any criminal prosecutions when they muck it up real bad. All right, so they're pretty incompetent in this instance. You have to imagine that sometimes they are competent and we just have totally no idea about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so this, as far as I'm concerned, is like we get a sneak peek 
into the action. This is the trailer of the movie, but we just don't know about the movie because often when Clinton tells you to delete something, you delete it. Otherwise, you end up dead. Yeah. Seth Ridge. Okay, so... Just, you know, that, that lady who misgendered someone over Facebook goes to prison. Yeah. As we'll find out, Hillary deletes 33,000 private emails. I think it was more. Lies about it uh, to the House. Doesn't get anything. So, when called in, when called in to talk about the emails with the FBI, Clinton told FBI in, in the interviews, I don't remember, I reported 39 times. That's what she said. I don't remember. I don't know. Okay? Now, so, James Comey then releases the memo. Peter Strzok changes the, the, the uh, content of the memo. So the memo says, basically, gives a, a, a wrap of the findings of the investigation into Hillary's email server and basically it's supposed to recommend something from here. It says, this is what we found. You guys take it from here. Now, Strzok was responsible, was responsible for downgrading the language regarding Clinton's conduct from the criminal charge of gross negligence to extremely careless. Okay? So that's, that's the, the, um, what you have to prove for it to be a, a, a criminal prosecution. Also removed was the term sheer volume in reference to the 33,000 email. <laughs> now... It's a high number. That's a lot. That's a big number. Now, so... And then in July 2016... Again, three months prior to the election, uh, Comey said that Clinton's use of a private private email server, while Secretary would was uh, while Secretary of State was extremely careless, but he added that no reasonable prosecutor would charge her. So that's Comey ch- throwing his two cents in because obviously he doesn't know any reasonable prosecutors because <laughs> he's a member of the deep state. <laughs> now, so that gets us to. It's a long story. It's a long story. Deep state tentacles. It's a long story. So, and basically, so, so that gives us an introduction to our mate Peter Strzok. Yeah. So and he was working on both of these investigations at the same time. Yeah. So no he's words. working on the investigation, and then so you have in July 2016. So these two things kind of overlap. So in, in July 2016, they come to the end of Hillary's. Mm-hmm. And then they just start ramping up Trumps. Okay, mm-hmm. now Strzok goes from the Hillary to the Trump, as you the do. Trump investigation, as you do, right? Uh, because you're a member of the deep state. <laughs> <laughs> now, we have a set, you, you've obviously got to recognise the fact that now, up until this point, you've had criminal level carelessness displayed by Hillary Clinton, a total lack of appreciation for the security of data, deliberate evasion of House Intelligence Committee subpoenas on top of the fact... She should go to jail for she Benghazi. Should, she should go to jail. Should okay. be in lock Should go right to jail. Up. But Peter Strzok has been the bloke in all of this saying, no, 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 no. She's not going to jail. She's going to do a book tour. Okay. You're going to protect your doing. blue thing. Now, fast forward now. Trump gets elected. No, just before Trump gets elected. Got a situation... Now, where the text between Lisa Page and Peter Strzok... Lisa Page is Peter Strzok's lover. Lover. Mr. Russo. Uh, revealed that they had intense anti-Trump bias. Mm. 
massive mm. anti-Trump bias. Wasn't Page also like Lisa Page also like a lawyer for the yes. FBI? So she was working on the investigation at the same oh, time. Also working on the investigation. Also working on the investigation. You find a whole bunch of people also working on the <laughs> investigation. Oh. Right? There's a lot of this. A lot of this. Okay, so Peter Strzok, and they're spearheading the investigation essentially. So Strzok is the mm. second highest counterintelligence official at the FBI. Page is the, law, the relevant lawyer. Everyone's underneath them. What Strzok says goes. Now these two are constantly sending messages to each other about how much they hate Trump. And not only that, this is, the, this is where it gets real weird, okay? It's real wacky. Now, when, when talking about a meeting that they had in Andrew McCabe's office, now Andrew McCabe was deputy director of the FBI, so he's also been kicked. Andy McCabe. He's another dirty, dirty player. He's a dirty saga. And so General Jeff Sessions booted him from office (laughs) hours before he was going to receive his lifetime pension. (laughs) (laughs) They waited. He counted down. He waited. It was like three hours or something before Andy McKay was entitled for his lifetime pension for service at the FBI. Some big balls. <laughs> gave him this tombstone file driver. Just gave him a quick <laughs> double tap. No, you don't. The judge slammed through the table. No, booted, booted, right? Because of this type of misconduct. I want. This is Peter Strzok and Lisa Page talking of a message. I, I don't want to bore you, but this is kind of. We've got to get to this. I want to believe the path you threw out for consideration in Andy's office that there's no way he, in terms of reference to Trump, gets elected. But I'm afraid we can't take that risk. So the, already they're talking about we can't take that risk in reference to Trump getting elected, okay? So you, you, you've already got a situation where the investigation was constructed on false grounds um, and the people who are spearheading the investigation are doing absolutely everything that they can to ensure that the investigation turns out the way that they want, which is essentially Trump gets impeached or, thrown, or, or becomes criminally liable for something, okay? So this is why... They talk about an insurance plan, which is what they mention now. They mention insurance plan. So, it's like an insurance policy in an unlikely event you die before you're 40. Okay, so they're talking about the unlikely event is Trump getting elected and we are the insurance plan. This investigation here is going to be the, the means by which we halt him if he does get elected. So now you've got an active conspiracy by uh, a top brass at the FBI to undermine and dethrone potentially at, at least a candidate and later a sitting president. So all of this has happened. This has all been documented. Now Strzok gets taken off the case eventually when these texts come to light. But you've had this whole investigation is founded on absolute rubbish data and intelligence. Now of course there's been a whole bunch of um, indictments. You see Paul Manafort. Uh, among a, a range of others who are related to Trump's campaign. None of them are on campaign-related Russian charges. No, 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 no. But, like, but none of them are related to collusion. Yeah. None prove collusion. It's all, thoughts is like mortgage It's like mortgage and, like and insurance, in insurance policy. Yeah. 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 So basically, what, what Mueller has gone out to do is because he can't find any collusion, he's dragged this bad boy on. Mueller got brought on in uh, 17. By the way, Mueller's team... So Mueller, uh, Rob Mueller was appointed as a special counsel to investigate this. Mm. His team, he has 12 lawyers on his team who are registered Democrat donors. Mm. 12, at least. Serious hoo-ha going on there. So you've got a situation where the FBI is against Trump. The DOJ signed off on on a salacious and unverified document as a means to gain a visa warrant, including the visa judges. You've got 
Department of Justice signing off on it. Um, you've got Hillary Clinton with all her buddies getting away absolute scot-free and yet they've still found absolutely nothing to connect Trump and his campaign to Russians mm. and Russian collusion. Ladies and gentlemen, there is no collusion here. It is The whole thing is absolute bogus. It's, it's hot trash. It's a whole lot of hot trash. A whole lot of hot trash. They so, couldn't even get Trump on a non, non-collusion crime. Like, he's been in business for that long. You'd think he would have committed some type of financial crime or something. Zippo. They can't get him. Too he's damn, the Hulk. Too damn quick, too damn slick. Now, I just want to leave you. Peter Strzok says, quote, in a message to his lover, Lisa Page, I am riled up. Trump is an effing idiot. He's unable to provide a coherent answer. I can't pull away. What the F happened to our country? Redacted. Page responds, I don't know, but we'll get it back. Dot, dot, dot. Now, you want to talk about bias, right? So, they, they, the Comey's, Comey's come out and said, yeah, well, we just found no evidence of bias on the, in the investigation. We understand that the text looked bad, but there is in no way it would have impacted the investigation, right? Which brings me to the final point. There's a heap of text they deleted anyway. Oh, they, they deleted, deleted heaps, heaps of text. They, there's a lot of deleting going yeah. on with, with the deep state. And it all seems to be technical difficulties. So... Just to wrap this up, you know, James Comey would be a good nomination for Beta Mail of the Week, but it would take a forever. Beta Mail of the Decade. Beta Mail of the Mail of all time. All time Beta Mail. James Comey released a book, and he's been doing a book tour, even though he should be in jail. <laughs> Again. Seems like a running thing. Called A Higher Loyalty Truth, Lies, and Loyalty. <laughs> <laughs> He couldn't find a fourth adjective. It could be, maybe it's a high coin. I and then a Chauncey for that thesaurus.com. Chauncey would have helped would have Can you bring that up, Chauncey? Now, I just want to point out several times where he has lied. He lied on the visa warrant when he said that there was actual verifiable data. He should go to jail for that by itself. You can't spy on citizens just because you don't like them. Okay, That's, that's kind of 101 of separation division of powers. Yeah. Um, jail. Jail also, jail time. Jail time. <laughs> he also conceded to downgrading his own memo, succeeding to the advice of Peter Strzok and Lisa Peter Strzok. Peter Strzok a deal. Peter Strzok a deal. <laughs> um, and he downgraded it to just a little bit careless. A little bit, little bit careless. Just a little bit careless. Do you know Clinton and her mob? This is um. There's an awkward segment on a CNN interview where um, one of the panellists is talking about Clinton emails and they go, you know Clinton had a bunch of her emails and her staffers all had access to them on these iPads. And you know what they did to these iPads? They got hammers and smashed them up like this, <laughs> like that, and smashed them up. And the host says, oh, no, no, I don't think they did that. And the panellist who is defending Clinton that goes to the host, oh, yeah, they actually did do that. <laughs> um, that's, that's how bad these guys are. Oh, they mate, smash them up. They smash, yeah, she smashed the phone. And then when you look it up, because I looked that up, if you look it up on, on Politico, right, yeah. the fact checker, which is the most biased thing I've ever seen, yeah. goes, yeah, that's a half truth. That's half not entirely truth. true. It's because like they did, they smashed, it was like, oh, is it true that um, Clinton smashed up a mobile phone? And it's only half truth because she actually smashed up a whole bunch of iPads. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, Kami's a beta. Uh, this, um, so let's this. make a list of all the people that should be in jail. Stock and Page, they should go to jail for oh, something. Right. 
They're he, he, Yeah, they should no, go to jail. No Comey should go to jail. McCabe should be in jail. Clinton should be in jail. Now, Cambetti should be in jail. And Bill. Bill should be in jail, definitely. Pay for play schemes using the Clinton Foundation is pretty bad. That is bad. <laughs> it's shocking. It is bad. It's shocking. It's shocking. And how um, about all those like uninvestigated rape allegations against Bill? He should be in jail. Yeah. Hillary's the... Hillary's... You know Hillary the was the one who... Women. Yeah, yeah Hillary's the, the one who... Who's instructed and intimidated those women from speaking out yeah. against the allegations. Um, also should be in jail, Cambetti. Now, the problem is that whilst director of the FBI, guess who, your boy James Comey, decided to give out a whole bunch of immunity cards, get out of jail free cards to all these people who started cooperating with the FBI, including your boy Paul Cambetti, who knew that uh, the server was under subpoena for the Benghazi, uh, uh, Benghazi raid, decided not to turn it over, instead they decided to run a bleach bit on it, uh, and then lied to the FBI. <laughs> he lied to them so that they, he didn't know. And then he said, oh, yeah, actually, I did do all those things. They're like, oh, you are so great. I'm going to give you a pardon. Yeah. You're so, immune. So brave. Yes. <laughs> so brave, Mr. Gambit. So brave. So, so courageous. Brave. Oprah Winfrey. Get the Arthur what a speech. <laughs> Get the Arthur Ashe Award for bravery and courage. Yeah, the ESPN Award. What a, that's a fiasco. Thanks, itself. Bruce. All right. Hillary. That wraps up. Now, that being, Hillary, we know you're watching. That being said, we've said a lot of bad things about you, but we would absolutely love you to go in the 2020 election. We would love it. More importantly, we'd actually love to have her on the podcast. We'd also love to have you on the podcast. We've got some questions for you, which no one else seems to ask you. You're doing this fucking book tour, and nobody asks you about, about the emails. Nobody's asking you about Benghazi. We have a few simple questions to ask you, even though you're doing the most publicity in the world. Except Rich has got some questions. Seth Rich has got some questions. Um, yeah, you know. Time to fess up. Time to come on the cage bring, house. Bring Strocky as well. Bring the whole yeah, gang. Bring Strock and Comey in the cave. <laughs> well, you know, so, some... so, you know, um, when this all came out, Strock, instead of being totally fired by the FBI, he was taken off the investigation. Um, he was moved laterally. <laughs> he got moved to HR. <laughs> moved to HR. Yeah. Basically, where all the freaks go. Yeah. Moved to hire all of the deep state tentacles <laughs> yeah, into the Jesus. FBI. You know what's also Put funny? Him in the dark you know what's funny? One of um, someone challenged Trump, one of Trump's. This is just a by the by. Someone challenged Trump, uh, one of the states challenged Trump's. I think one of the executive orders, and they took it to the to the court. Person hearing it, person hearing the uh, investigation was a woman, who was George Soros's wife. <laughs> oh really? <laughs> Either that. Oh no no no. She wasn't George Soros's wife. She went to the Soros wedding between the Soros. Wedding. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and it's just everyone knows each other. Yeah. It seems. Small world. Small, Small world. world. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes, it is. Uh, it is interesting. A whole lot of different worlds from the deep state. A whole lot of. And no one gets dawned. a smack on the wrist. None of you couldn't even get community service hours or something. Probably, not. probably wouldn't have. Even a fine. The the thing is, the deep state did get a few hundred mil through the Clinton Foundation. Problems deep the deep states getting sloppy. From they've been getting away with it for so long, they're getting real sloppy. They're not yeah. tying up loose ends. And the Trump's just too quick. Trump's just <laughs> too quick. <laughs> the big he's playing. You know. You know. He's playing four D chess. chess. He's playing four D chess. And y'all, y'all been playing checkers for years. <laughs> <laughs> he's um. 
Speedy Gonzalez. He's too far ahead. He's too far ahead. He's, 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 you know what? Everyone says he's the dumbest man in the room, and you know what? He's letting you think that because I <laughs> yeah. guarantee you he knows who you are and what you want, and he's <laughs> yeah. going to take you to the cleaners. <laughs> he's a shandy. He puts you in the spin cycle. <laughs> he's going to dump, he's going to yak it on you. Coast to coast to get out of my way poster. Speaking yeah. of posters, are we are we done now with the with the Russia gate? Is it? I think the camera might also be done now. Done now with the Russia gate. We're just going to take a quick break. Andos made a massive claim. Uh, earlier in the show, we're going to uh, really grill you here. Really examine it. Uh, Dukes right. has made a, uh, arguably an even bigger call. You've never been to the gym, so how do you know what the gym is, let alone toxic masculinity? Mm. Are you able to justify the claim? Look, I'll give it a crack. <laughs> the um... <laughs> <laughs> Give us your best. Give us your best. Dodgy premise. I didn't think would actually go this far into, <laughs> <laughs> into exploring my conclusion. But on the topic of the gym, I think that the... like constant struggle to be the king of the gym and especially uh when you go with the people you know and people like if you went to a school gym or gym with your mates or whatever the constant struggle of being like who's the best and now i'm self-conscious about like what um what my body is like compared to what other <laughs> people's is like i think provides this, this cycle of self-consciousness in which everyone's just struggling with their own body image i think and with this constant quest in order to see who's the most dominant is problematic. Um, problematic, the favourite word of the academic left. Mm. <laughs> How about we just keep the comments quiet from the peanut gallery? Along with the architectonic edifice. That's a good one. Well, really, and, <laughs> and on that, even like some of my mates who are the kings of the gym, <laughs> the real big boys, the heavy, the heavy hitters, are saying, I some I look in the mirror and I'm like I need to be better in regard and not in like a positive way where I want to improve upon myself where it's like I hate this part of my body. Now, do you believe anything that you're saying? Not at all. <laughs> not at all. Um, <laughs> Are you making the best case you can for toxic masculinity? I'm trying to look. The thing is, toxic masculinity itself probably doesn't exist. Probably, um, which is another big conclusion. That's another big thing. That's almost a better one. Almost it's a better almost one. Particularly, particularly because it's actually something that you might know a little bit about. Might know a little bit more about, and also might actually believe a little bit more. Because I'm just making the best case for why the gym is horrific for body image, which in turn turns into toxic masculinity, as everyone's just trying to be the king of the gym. Dude. Look, I think there's a couple of faulty links there, but you know, okay, it's, it's an Andos rap. Look, it's an Andos rap. There's no question. This first first crack at jumping to conclusions. Thought that you guys would bring something better to the table, if I'm honest. <laughs> I can't even remember what I had. Probably some bull. I said, yeah, Macca's isn't even cheap anymore. Not really. It's like seven bucks for a bacon egg McMuffin. Get out of here. It's about ten bucks when you when you throw in a hash brown. There's no mm. excuse to be fat anymore because it's just as expensive to be to eat fat food than it is to eat good food. It's fat food inflation, price inflation. That's fat a story. Food inflation. Fat food inflation. It's inflating like the people eating it. <laughs> <laughs> it's rude. It's being rude, Alex. Late, it's rude. That might have to be cut from the podcast. Might be insensitive to those who are horizontally challenged. 
Are you going to take your first retraction? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Seems as every every now for two raps in a row we've been arguing whether Alex will take something out, whether he'll lose yeah, his cojones. Yeah, but I got a little bit of hot water with the JB Hi-Fi employees last week. <laughs> you know, I might be getting in a little bit of trouble with the bigger section of the community, which is growing. Then Not into also <laughs> <laughs> in terms of girth and numbers. How ironic! <laughs> um, it could end up being a good thing. Fat food price inflation could. Could be a good thing for the health of Australia. If it gets so expensive that it becomes unaffordable to eat fat food, and you've got to go back to your... But I think... Particularly people, with now um, artificial crops and stuff. I think people will still try to get the daily dose of macadinos, if you know what I mean. Even just scraping around, making sure them silver coins count, probably. Yeah, look, the dollar menu is problematic, isn't it, Andos, for the fat food price inflation? Mm, but... <laughs> It's an inconvenient detail. It is, it is an inconvenient truth. I mean, I think it's more the um, what kills people is the family boxes and the family deals. Where it's supposed to be for four people or so and you split it with a mate. I do that with um, KFC burger meal deal or whatever. Where you get like two burgers, two twisters. You get a bunch of different stuff for like 25 bucks. That's, that's, that's what will get you if you're... If you're if you're like Andy and his mate, you don't go to the gym and eat family boxes. <laughs> and then complain Dude, about mate. toxic masculinity. Dude, you can't come home. Um, okay, that I think that's going to wrap us up. That's going to wrap it there. That's going to wrap us up. Um, thanks for sticking with us. We're going to have to get some better sign-outs, I think. But What about like girls? Mm. Mm, Cobra out. <laughs> Mic drop. <laughs> Shame people okay, won't be able to. We're getting out of here. Yeah, we'll see you later. See you later. Au revoir.